You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. All right, well, good morning, Midtown. Wonderful to worship together with you this morning. It's great to see some visitors here. I trust that you've already been greeted well, but I will also greet you and welcome you uh, to Midtown. I'll introduce myself. My name is Justin. I serve as the associate pastor at Midtown, and again, we're just really glad that you're here. Uh, It's going to be a fun morning this morning as we continued our four-week series in the book of Ruth. I love the book of Ruth because it's it's primarily themed around this idea of God's loyal and faithful love toward His people. It's such a great story about how God loves the individual and what he does providentially in their lives. And one of the things that it also points out in in the book of Ruth is this idea of providence, this idea that God is sovereign and he's even over the circumstances of our lives down to the nitty-gritty details. And I don't know about you, but that's both amazing to me and it's actually kind of mysterious. And so that's going to be the fun thing that we're going to get to talk about today because in chapter 2, it really comes to life, this idea of God's providence and how he's involved in our lives in displaying his loyal love. So I'm looking forward to that. But first, I want to ask you a couple questions. And then if you weren't here last week or aren't familiar with Ruth, I want to kind of go back to chapter one just so we can catch up in the story to the part that we'll read today. So first, let me just ask you a couple questions. Do you ever feel like you're an unnoticed nobody in the scope of God's cosmic plans? Do you ever feel like you're just a nobody in the scope of like this cosmic plans? I mean, after all, we're in a world with almost... 8 billion people, 200 countries, 7,000 languages. Do you ever feel like that? Just kind of like a, a nobody in the scope of God's cosmic plans? Or what about this question? Do you ever think that, that maybe God or other people don't notice you? That you're just unnoticed and, and thus uncared for? Do you ever wrestle with that? You kind of think about God kind of being, you know, he's got bigger fish to fry than Justin here in Austin, Texas, right? Like there's so much going on and we've got friends in our lives that have faithful commitments to a lot of their other friends and their families. And so sometimes you might feel like you're not only unnoticed by God and unnoticed by others, but uncared for as a result. Or do you wrestle with the tension of trusting God to meet your needs, yet sometimes feeling like you're not sure he's gonna come through for you and so you want to just go out there and kind of make things happen yourself because you, you're not sure if you can quite trust him. So you want to try to make sure you can take care of yourself beforehand. Ever wrestle with questions like that? I do. And I'm sure you do too. And I think that this story will help us see that God is faithful. God's providential. And we aren't just a nobody. That God does care. That he knows who we are. He notices us. That's what we're going to look at today. But to give context to it, let's go back to chapter one. If you're not familiar with Ruth or weren't here last week, in chapter one, we find out there's this, this family, uh, Elimelech, and there's a famine in Bethlehem. And so he moves his family uh, to Moab, another, another nation where they have two sons, and the two sons uh, get married. I mean, um, and then what happens is they all die. All the men die. Elimelech dies. The two sons uh, die. And so now you've got. Naomi, all by herself, with these two daughters-in-law. And so she decides after the famine ends that she's actually going to go back, leave Moab, and go back to Bethlehem. That might be a better opportunity for her there. There would be relatives that would be there. And so as she makes her way, she tells her daughters-in-law, like, you guys should stay here in Moab. Like, you're going to have a better chance of getting married with someone from your own people if you stay here. One daughter takes her up on it and says, yeah, I'm going to do that. And the other one, Ruth, that the story's about today, Ruth actually pledges her loyal love to Naomi and says, no, wherever you go, I'm going to go, and your God's going to be my God, and I'm, I'm going to be faithful to you. I want to go back with you. 
So they make their way back to, back, back to Bethlehem, and people recognize Naomi, and they, they say, oh, this is Naomi. But Naomi says, actually, Naomi means pleasant one. But when they recognize her as Naomi, she says, no, I think you should actually call me Mara, which means bitter one. Like, I'm bitter because of what God has done here. In fact, we'll read the, the passage here as it sums up uh, Ruth chapter 1. She says, don't call me Naomi. She told them, call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. If you were with us last week, Jake did a great job of describing that Naomi rightly understood the sovereignty of God. She, she thought that God was sovereign over all of her circumstances, that he was behind all the things, tragic as they were. But she mistook the fact that God actually loyally loved her, that he loved her and he could redeem the situation in her life. So that's what we spoke about last week. You get a clear sense that maybe Naomi was wrestling with some of those same questions, like, am I unnoticed? Does God even notice me in the big scope of his cosmic plans? Or, or does God even care for me? Does he, does he know what's going on with me? Or wrestling with a question of, maybe I just need to try to take care of my own needs and do things in my own strength because I'm not sure that God's going to come through for me. That's kind of where you find yourself at the end of chapter 1. So now we're going to go into chapter 2. And it's kind of a long passage. By the way, this is why we're not doing, normally we'll have you stand for the reading. But when we're doing the book of Ruth, it's like an entire chapter. So we didn't want to have to stand for an entire chapter. But I'm going to walk through the whole story, making just a few comments. But then at the end, I want to just kind of point out a few things. And so I'm going to give you a couple little bookmarks here, things to just to remember, write down or stick in your head. We're going to circle back to those. But let's start just by reading the story in, in Ruth chapter 2. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered the field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working the field that belonged to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just point out a few things here. There's a couple phrases that I want you to hold on to because they're going to be the ones that we come back to. The first one is find favor. She said that she was going to go out and work behind the harvesters in hopes of getting some food for their family, but also she was aiming to find favor, see if, what God would do in finding favor. So just kind of hold on to that finding favor part. And what Ruth is doing here, by the way, if you didn't know, is she's actually taking advantage of a law that was in the book of Deuteronomy, a law for the Hebrew people, that if you were a harvester, you were supposed to leave some on the ground for poor people to be able to come and glean. So she's taking advantage of a law. I'll actually read it to you. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 24. It says, when you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. So the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So she knew this law. And so she's walking up saying, this is for me as a widow, someone that doesn't have much. I've, I've got this opportunity to go glean as much as I can of the leftovers. She's taking advantage of it. And the next phrase that I want you to, th to remember is this phrase, as it turned out. See right there in the last sentence. As it turned out, she was working on the field belonging to Boaz, who was from their clan. We're going to come back to that phrase, but as it turned out. It's a, it's a little, little writing technique to help us think about the providence of God, that as it turned out, this is who she was working for. Let's continue to read in Ruth 2, picking up in, in verse 4. Just then, Boaz arrived in Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked for his overseer of, of the harvesters, of the harvest, who is that young woman? Who does she belong to? The overseer replied, she's a Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. 
She said, please let me glean and gather from among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean from another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow after them. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And, whatever, and whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled. Taking a little pause here just to, to think about this character, Boaz. We learned very on, it says there was a man of standing. So we know that this is a guy who has a reputation of being a godly man. And you see it by many things that you already see in this passage. I mean, one, one he's, he's actually obeying the law in Deuteronomy. He's allowing these, these workers to do this, right? You get a sense of his, his treating his coworkers with respect and blessing them in the name of the Lord. And they receive the blessing back. You, you see that he gives people breaks and work breaks. But then mostly in this story, we see that he notices Ruth. He says to his other, you know, the foreman or the overseer, like, who, who, who is this woman? Who does she belong to? And then when he learns what she's done, he takes major effort to go and to care for her, to protect her, to tell her not to go anywhere else and, and to provide for her. This is where you see that last week what we pointed out was that Naomi got a, got a sense of the uh, loyal love of God by the way that Ruth clung to her, by the way that Ruth said, I'm gonna go where you go. I'm gonna be committed to you. I want your God to be my God. And that in a sense, through that relationship, she could have received the loyal love of God. And now you see it happening again through the hands of Boaz. And Ruth actually gets that because look at the way she responds. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found favor in your eyes, there's our words again, that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been, <clears throat> I've been told about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in the homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor, favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I have no standing, though I don't have the standing of one of your servants. See, Ruth sees and right, right away recognizes that this is the loyal love of God expressed to her through Boaz. And not only that, Boaz is recognizing the loyal love of God expressed through her to Naomi. There's a picture of love of God expressed through the people. There's one more phrase that I want you to notice here, and I should have phrased it that way because the word is notice. <laughs> one more word you want you to notice. And the phrase, you notice me. Ruth says, I've, I, why have I found favor in your eyes that you notice me? Hold on to that word because we're gonna come back to it. That's exactly what Boaz did. A very busy businessman with lots of things to do, with a limited time, the harvest time is short. You've gotta get to work, you've gotta get things done. But even in the midst of that, he sees one person notices her, and it's meant to be a reminder for her and for us today as we read the story that God notices us, that God notices us through other people even that notice us. Let's continue in the story. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread, dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men let her gather from among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull some of the stalks out from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned from the field until evening. She threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. 
Ruth also brought out and gave her what, what, what she had left over after she had eaten enough. So you see, again, Boaz and his character continuing to be so generous with her, letting her continue to work and providing and protecting her, giving her stuff even just to send home so that Naomi has something to share as well. So here's how Naomi responds. Her mother-in-law said, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working. The name of the man I work for today is Boaz. She said, the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his loving kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is a relative. He's one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite, uh, <clears throat> he, uh, then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all of my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women and work for him because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz, glean and glean the bar- barley and wheat harvest until they were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. What a great way to end uh, chapter one, uh, or chapter two. Chapter one, we end with Naomi saying, call me bitter. That's what the Lord has done to me. Yet here at the end of chapter two, we've got her saying, blessed is the man who took notice of you, saying of God that he's not stopped showing his kindness to me. What a change. She thought that God no longer noticed her. She thought God's hand was against her, yet now she's seeing that as it turned out, God did notice her. And as it turned out, God did notice her, and he found favor for her and for Ruth. Amazing story, isn't it? I just love it. It's a story that's meant to remind us that God is sovereign over the entire world, yet even as sovereign over the entire world, he notices one person, one family. It's one to make us think that God notices us and he intervenes in the life of people sovereignly. And he's doing it today. He's doing it in our life. I don't know about you, but I find these stories like amazing. I just so hopeful like to believe there's a sovereign God that's over my life and notices me and is intervening for my good. But I have to admit, it's also kind of confusing and it's mysterious. It is hard to understand where the intersection of God's sovereignty and human will uh, play. It's very difficult indeed. Are any of y'all a fan of the, the show, This Is Us? A couple hands? Or you're afraid to admit it? So, okay, gosh. I thought that there would be a lot more. I have to admit that I've not watched it, but I kind of understand it, and I don't want to watch it because everyone that tells me that they watch it, they say they cry in every episode. So I'm like, this is not a good selling point. This doesn't, this doesn't help me. But, but I think what, you, what you, people like about the story is it goes back and forth, doesn't it, between different periods of time in people's lives, and what it does is it gives you a chance when you do this kind of uh, uh, art this way, it gives you a chance to see like, oh, that happened. Now I see. It's, it's an as-it-turned-out moment that you see in someone's life, and, and this is what makes all these stories and why not just This Is Us. Uh, there's lots of different types of shows that do this now because they're trying to help you piece together one random event to see, oh, my goodness, that really shaped this person. That really did something in someone. And how much better, you know, we're watching it from a worldly perspective on a show like that, but to read the story of Ruth and see that those as-it-turned-out moments are actually God behind the scenes orchestrating something for someone's good. A few days ago, I, um, or a few weeks ago, I went home to go uh, see my, my parents, and I arrived like at 8.50 on, I guess it was a Thursday, whatever night that just is, This Is Us is on. And it was the final episode, and I walk in at 8.50, it must end at 9, and there she is just crying. <laughs> like, oh, man, a terrible timing on my part. 
uh, I talked to her again this week, and she says, you know, actually, I'm going back and I'm rewatching all of them because now that I know the end from the, from the beginning, it's even more fun to watch because I, I see all these as-it-turned-out moments. She didn't use those words. I just kind of made, made that up. But she did say, that's what she sees, you know, when you go back and watch it. And this is the thing that I love about the book of Ruth and I love being able to talk to you guys about today is this intersection of God's sovereignty and human will and how God is providentially caring for the people that he notices. So my hope in the remaining moments right now is actually just to convince you that trusting in God's providence while taking faithful actions is a rich and rewarding way to live your life. Trusting in God's providence while taking faithful action is just a rich and rewarding way to live your life. And I hope to show you through what we learn from Ruth's life uh, how you can do that. There's three things that I want to share. We're going to go back to some of those words that I told you. First is that we need to trust in God's providence. And that goes back to this phrase, that God notices you. Ruth said, why have, I found, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Nomi says, blessed is the man who took notice of you. And so I want to tell you that God does notice you. God notices you. And whatever you believe it or not, I'm telling you, you're wrong if you don't believe it because it's true that God loves you, he notices you, and he wants to intervene and work in your life for your good to display his loyal love like we see here in the book of Ruth. We know from Psalm 139 that, that God knew us before he created us in the womb. We know from Psalm 147 that God knows every single star by name. We know from Jesus' words that, that any bird that dies, God knows about it. And then Jesus went on to say, God knows the very number of hairs on your head. Guys, God, God notices you. God notices you. This is why we can trust, we can trust in his providence. Now, I don't watch This Is Us, but I do watch The Chosen, and that's one that I cry in every time. So I know this fall, uh, a lot of us watched it together. Some of our Midtown communities actually did season two together too. And the thing that I love about The Chosen more than anything else and the parts that almost always make me cry are the parts when we see Jesus doing this, where you see Jesus noticing someone. Remember those scenes where he knows someone's name, he comes right up into their lives and just does something that you're like, man, like that's, that's how God feels about you. Jesus knows you. He notices you. And those scenes that describe what you kind of see behind the scenes in a lot of them, like Jesus is, like take the Samaritan woman, like if you remember the story, but, but he's got this whole plan. They're like, well, why are we going this way? Why, why are you? He's, he's understanding the sovereignty of God and he's going to create an as it turned out moment in her life. Like that's, that's our God. That's what he does in our lives. So just ask, like, what are some areas of your life where you're not trusting in God's providence, not believing that God notices you? Trust me, he does. One of the things that I'm doing right now is I'm actually rereading my old journals. When I first came to faith in 1988, I started writing journals. And so about every five or 10 years, I like to go back and just reread them as kind of part of my quiet time in the morning. And one of the main reasons I like to do it is I like to look back and see like the, the sovereignty of God in my life, the providence of God and ways that he came through. It's just as a helpful reminder. It's kind of like reading uh, not watching This Is Us, I'm watching This Is Me in my, own, in my own words. And so right now I'm actually in 1999. So I've been doing this for, for the whole uh, last, last semester. And I'm in 1999. And you know what? In 1999, I was girl crazy. Um, <laughs> but I felt like God wasn't coming through for me. At, a lot, at that age, a lot of my friends were getting married and I was going to lots of weddings and just felt like, man, God's not coming through for me. Even though I tried, it seemed like every relationship I had ended quickly or would last a long time and then like major heartbreak. 
It was also a time in my life when I was very challenged with my work. Um, some of y'all know I did campus ministry at UT for, for a couple of decades before coming on staff at Midtown. But this was year four of my starting campus renewal. It was a startup ministry I was doing by myself, starting it up for the very first time. And that, that I just got offered a job back in Dallas to go be a pastor at the church that I came to faith in. And uh, I had turned it down. I thought long and hard about it, went through the whole interview process, and ultimately just, just felt like, no, God, God called me to UT, and he wants me to be faithful at doing this work. Yet in my journals I'm reading right now, like, I don't know, God, <laughs> like, why is this so hard? Why, why is this so difficult? On top of that, I had actually, because I was doing fundraising, I had, re- had just compiled a lot of ministry debt, and I'd had credit card debt, and was wrestling with God a lot in his journals in 1999, saying, God, you know, what's happened? I'm trying to do your will here. Why, why do I keep going into debt? Why, why is it I'm not getting supported? Maybe something comes to your mind right now. Some area of your life where you found it hard to believe that God notices you. Why don't I, I want to remind you this morning that he does. And one of the clearest ways that you can express your trust in God's providence is by prayer. Like that's one of the clearest ways you can indicate like, am I trusting in God's providence? Well, when we trust in God's providence, we're going to start to pray because we're going to bring all those things to God, and we're going to say, God, I need you, because we're recognizing in it, prayer in itself is a recognition of God's providence. Like, I'm going to ask God to do something that I can't do that I know he can do, and only he can do. And so that's what we need to do. We need to pray. It's how we express our, our trust in the providence of God. Now, we don't really see Ruth specifically praying or Naomi in these two, first two chapters, but I get a sense that they probably prayed because the way that they instantly give glory to God when he comes through for them. And so whether they prayed or not, they definitely recognized it as the providence hands of God in their life when they gave glory to God when he came through for them. So I would argue that the first step in this amazing yet mysterious intersection of God's sovereignty and human will is that we first just trust in God's providence. Trust and pray that God's in control and he's going to notice you and come through for you. Second thing is I'll say try to find favor. Try to find favor. Or maybe to put another way, just do something. Ruth, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. Then she would later say, why have I found favor in your eyes that you notice me? You know, we want to pray and we want to trust in God's providence, but it also means that we actually have to do something. We have to take steps of faith and, and, and act on our own behalf, but do so in a way that's actually trusting God. That's what I'm going to get to here with the idea of finding favor. The second step is just to actually do something. Look what Naomi did. She said that she was going to leave her home and go to the fields. She went to the foreman and asked, can I glean these fields? She worked hard all day, took a water break, then had a dinner break, then worked more. You see, you get a sense that this didn't just happen magically. They just didn't trust in God's providence. She said, well, I think I'm going to take this next step. I think this is what I'm supposed to do. And she went and she did it. But she did it all the while seeking the favor of God which is really different from what we can tend to do if you're like me. When I start to wonder if God notices me, I try to get things for myself and make it, make it happen. I try to manipulate the circumstances of my life so that, so that it comes out the way that I want rather than just really trusting the providence of God and taking steps, but taking steps with a heart that's saying, I'm taking these steps to try to find favor, not create my own favor. Now, I'm not here to say that that's easy. It's super delicate balance. It's hard to know even the motives of our own hearts sometimes and which way is which. And we're also very good at deceiving ourselves, so I'm not trying to say that this is easy. But what you get with, with Ruth is you get this sense that she said, well, I'm gonna, I gotta get out there. I'm gonna get out there, and I'm, but I'm gonna get out there with a mind not just to 
do all I can for me. It's like, I'm gonna get out there and see if God might bless this, finding the favor. I think that we should always examine our hearts and make it our aim to work hard, but while trusting in God's providence, trusting and asking him to do favors for us. When I go back to my journals, um, I, can, I can say with confidence when it comes to relationships, I did my part. I tried. <laughs> I look back at him and, man, I was asking girls out a lot. So it wasn't for lack of trying. And sometimes I did it with a sense of trust and finding God's favor. Sometimes I did it trying to manipulate things because I was trying to do it my own way. But it wasn't for lack of trying that I tried to find favor with the ladies. As, as for the campus ministry, I look back at it too. And, and I was, you know, faithful and worked as hard as I could and tried to take every next step to grow our ministry and to, to influence and reach more, more students at UT. I prayed and I acted and sometimes I did it in my own power and, and sometimes I was really doing it, just working as hard as I could, but with a mind for asking God for his favor. And I saw God come through in lots of ways among those years. It wasn't for lack of trying. I kept, I kept working. And as for my finances... I tried to be as faithful as I could, you know, raising funds and doing the hard work of fundraising. Um, it wasn't for lack of trying. Now, sometimes I did it in my own strength. Other times I did it rightfully worked hard with a mind of trusting in God's favor, and I would see God come through. But I still wrestled with this credit card debt that I had. So I just ask today, like, where are you needing God's favor? What's something you're praying toward, or what's something where you're needing God's favor? And as you're doing that, are you, are you doing it in a way that's actually trusting in God or are you subtly doing it in a way where you're trying to control things and make things happen? Or are you being passive and actually not taking steps of faith that would actually give you a chance to receive God's favor? Like that's what you see in Ruth, this beautiful picture of trusting in God's providence yet at the same time being faithful to, to work and see what would happen and see how God would come through. So the intersection of God's sovereignty and free will, we don't just need to trust God's providence. We need to do something. We need to work, but do it in a way that's looking for God's favor. And the last part, my favorite part here, is the third thing that we need to do is we just need to wait for those as-it-turned-out moments. Watch for the as-it-turned-out moments as you do this. As it turned out, she was working in the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Then Ruth, her mother-in-law, <clears throat> the one whose place she had been working, I asked which one. The name of the man I was with today was Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness in, among the living and the dead. Like, they recognized it. They saw, like, oh, this, this is an as-it-turned-out moment. Like, this is amazing. So as you trust in God's providence and do something, you look for these moments and believe that God will turn them. So take just Ruth's story alone. As it turned out, she arrived in Bethlehem at the time of the harvest. As it turned out, she was granted permission to work the land. As it turned out, she was working for a very godly man. As it turned out, he was Boaz. As it turned out, he provided protection for her. As it turned out, she had a meal and more than enough to bring home. As it turned out, Boaz was a family member. As it turned out, he was a guardian redeemer, which meant that it was someone that she could likely marry, which you'll pick back up on in chapter three when Matt teaches next week. Don't you love it? Like, isn't this beautiful? Isn't it beautiful when you experience the providence of God in your life in some way that you go, oh man, God was with me. God was there. Like, I love it. I love this story. Looking at the story of Ruth, looking at the story of others, reading my old journals, I can reflect back and think of ways that God has given me as it turned out moments. Relationship-wise, 
as it turned out, my girlfriend introduced me to Brenda, my wife. So <laughs> I love that. I love that, as it turned out. As it turned out, uh, Brenda and I ended up in the same prayer group on Wednesday night in that Odyssey school over there. We ended up in the same prayer group, as it turned out. Now, truthfully, that only happened the first time it was as it turned out. The rest of the times, I made sure it happened. But, <laughs> but the first one, it was as it turned out, which is where we got to know each other. Top that, say that you met your wife at a prayer meeting. You can't do any better. <clears throat> or as it turned out, uh, part of the singles ministry of this church that was meeting here at this time, uh, part of the singles ministry, I invited a group of friends to all go see a concert together. But as it turned out, as we got closer to the date, every single person backed out except Brenda. And I backed into the first date, and the rest is history. <laughs> as it turned out, I went to China uh, the summer before my freshman year here at UT and was randomly assigned in a team of 12, a guy named Mark Proger, who turns out was also, as it turned out, going to UT and became one of my dearest friends and still is to this day. Uh, as it turned out, uh, my senior year at UT, I went to a pastor's conference. I was probably the only college kid there. And as it turned out, I was in a small group with this guy named Dan Davis, who when he heard about what we were doing on our campus ministry at UT, he offered me a job under his umbrella organization. As for my debt, as it turned out, in 1999, I totaled my car. But I used all the money I got from the car, bought a really junky one, and I paid off all my debt. <laughs> as it turned out, after 40 days of prayer during Lent, praying that God would give us a campus house of prayer, literally the 41st day, I got a call from Denny Henderson at Hill Country Bible Church UT that says, hey, we've got this property. Would you want to use it for our house of prayer? As it turned out, uh, years after seeking God for campus renewal and struggling through those times, Campus Renewal became a really viable ministry that many other campuses around the nation started looking to us and following our example. Or my favorite right now, as it turned out, I'm teaching on the stage of the very first church that I attended in 1991, 31 years ago. And Brendan and I got married right there. As it turned out, here, here I am in Red River. Um, sometimes I feel like Ruth, or maybe I feel like Forrest Gump. <laughs> Another movie with lots of, as it turned out, right place, right time moments. Um, it's true, though. Life is like a box of chocolates. You don't know what you're going to get, but you know that if you trust in God's providence, that he's going to give you these moments, and he's going to prove himself faithful. What a way to live, guys. Like, wouldn't you want to live this way? Wouldn't this be an exciting way to live your life, to, to, to fully trust in God's providence and yet take steps of faith and see if you can find God's favor and he gives you as it turned out moments? Like, I want us to trust in God's providence that way. I want us to look for God's faithful, work faithfully and look for his favor. I want us to look for these as it turned out moments. And I want you to believe that God is full of loving kindness, that he notices you and he sovereignly intervenes in your life in the good times and the bad, and can redeem the bad like we've seen today from chapter one to chapter two. That's a way to live life. Not only that, if you believe in the providence of God and live into it that way, you know what else? Then you'll realize that you actually get to be a part of other people's as it turned out moments. Like how awesome is that? Like you get to now be a part of it in other people's lives because God's gonna use you. And if you have the mind of Boaz, you're going to what? Notice people and you're gonna intervene in their life right when God sovereignly has you be a part of them. Your neighbor, your coworker, the cubicle, your classmate. These aren't accidents. God has put you there for a reason. 
And what a wonderful way to live life, to think that you're part of God's sovereign plan, trusting his providence, not just for you, but knowing that in his sovereignty, he's put you places that you can be a part of other people's lives. How differently we would live if we realized that we get to be the ones that express God's loving, loyal kindness to other people, and they experience it through us, just like Ruth, Naomi experienced it through Ruth, and now they both experience it through Boaz. We can be that to other people. Amazing way to live life. Let's make it our aim to live that way. And the best thing that we can do in trying to do so is to make it our aim to look at the only one who did live that way perfectly. That would be Jesus. Because Jesus was a part of as-it-turned-out moments in people's lives. One, in fact, was a guy, this is also depicted in The Chosen, was a guy at the pool of Bethesda. And there at the pool, Jesus notices this paralytic man, and he tells him, get up your, take up your mat and walk. No one noticed him. Jesus noticed him. He tells him to walk, and he gets up and walks. But the only thing was he had done it on the Sabbath. And so some of the religious leaders get upset with him, and they come to him and say, why would you do that on that day? And here's what Jesus said about what he thought was happening in that moment. My father is always at work to this very day, and I, too, am working. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. Do you see it? Jesus trusted in the providence of his father. He, he believed that the father was working, and then he was trying to figure out where he was working so that he could stay in step with it. And Jesus said, I, too, am working. So he took faithful steps looking for God's favor, all so that he could be part of the as-it-turned-out moments in people's lives, and he trusted in the Father's providence all the way to his death because in the garden, the night that he knew that he would be betrayed, he would say, pray, not my will, but your will be done. And in that moment, it turned out to be the very best as it turned out moment in the history of the world. As it turned out, Jesus' death, terrible thing, God reversed the curse to be the most glorious thing in all the world, because that's how God is. And that's how Jesus trusted in his Father to go to that length for you and me. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us, because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven.